Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Adam Venable, and I'm the RUF campus minister over at UAB. And I'm especially happy to be here with you this morning because my parents are here visiting right over there. Uh, And uh, anyway, really glad to be here. Um, We're going to look at Luke chapter 4. And when I was getting ready for this passage this morning, it made me think of a documentary that I saw recently on Netflix. I'd heard of this documentary called The Social Dilemma. Have you heard of this? And it's essentially interviews with former execs and people in technical fields high up in Google and Facebook and Instagram and places like that. And basically their interviews, they're making the point that there are these unseen forces that we don't really know about when we use social media and Google that are not out to help you or to increase your human flourishing, but these unseen forces that are part of these different companies, they're actually out to hurt you and to manipulate you. And this is a very biblical idea. Uh, The Bible actually calls this, it's one particular force, not many, and it's not just a force, but, but it's in fact a person. It's a person who's bent not on your flourishing, but on manipulating you and on hurting you. And this person in Scripture is called the accuser sometimes, sometimes he's called Satan, sometimes he's called the devil. But the passage we're looking at is all about this. If you could talk to Jesus and ask Jesus, what can you tell me about this unseen force that's trying to hurt me and manipulate me? What would you say, Jesus, if I could ask you that? And so let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God. uh, Sorry, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together will be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, what would Jesus say if we could ask him 
uh, please tell us about this enemy that's bent on harming us. What would he say? And this is, uh, this is what I want you to see, is that Jesus leads us in victory over this enemy. That's what I think Jesus would say. He wants to lead us in victory over this enemy. First, he wants to reveal what the enemy's like. He wants to reveal what the enemy's like. I did a, a lot of food and beverage work while I was in seminary, and when I was a student, I worked at a restaurant called the Bear Rock Cafe for a while, and they had a little dessert case in front with all the pies and cook- cookies and cupcakes. And for a while, there was a sticker on front of the dessert case, and it said something like, so tempting it's sinful. And uh, we had great desserts at the Bear Rock Cafe. And I'm afraid sometimes that's how we view Satan and the devil and what he's trying to get us to do. That there are these sort of arbitrary rules about do this, don't do that. Uh, And we think that the devil is just trying to get us to do things that are are just breaking these arbitrary rules that the church has made that don't really make any sense. And what I I want you to see is that um, it's it's the opposite, in fact. That the things that Satan is trying to get us to do... in fact, destroy our humanity. They dehumanize us. They make us less of the men and women that God uh, made us to be and to become. Uh, So how does Satan tempt us? How does he manipulate us? What does Jesus help us to see? Satan tempts us by trying to make good things into God things. Satan tempted Jesus by trying to get him to to take good things and make them into ultimate things. And he did this at a time where Jesus was very vulnerable. Where is Jesus at the time when he's being tempted? Is Jesus in uh, the temple teaching? No. Is he at home with his parents? No. Where is Jesus when he's being tempted by, by the devil, it says? In the wilderness. And this was a wilderness in Israel, about 600 miles square. And there were mountains, and there were rivers, and there were deep valleys that went down 1,000 feet and there were cliffs that went back up 1,500 feet. It was full of wild animals, and it was a place where rebels would sometimes hide when they were in trouble from the law. But Satan comes to him at this time, and what does he do? He parades before Jesus good things. First he says, Jesus, I, I know you're hungry. Why don't you command these stones to become bread? Now, is bread a good thing? Yes, it is. Who made bread? God did. So first, Satan presents before Jesus something good, and he does it again. Um, he takes Jesus up on this very high point, and uh, most of the commentators that I read said that Satan probably didn't take Jesus literally up in the air, but Satan is probably just giving Jesus a vision of, this, of the broad land of Israel, even the whole world. And... Um, if you, if you look in the passage, he says that he shows them all the kingdoms of the whole world. Are the kingdoms of the whole world good? Who made the kingdoms of the whole world? God did. And then he says, look, I'll give you the glory and I'll give you the authority. Would it be good for Jesus to have the glory and to have the authority? Yes, it would. Satan, again, taking good things parading them before Christ, and trying to get Jesus to give his heart to those things, to make them the ultimate thing. And finally, he does it again with Jesus' relationship with God. Um, He takes them on top of the temple pinnacle, 
And he says, look, throw yourself down and the angels are going to protect you. And Satan even quotes scripture. He's quoting from a psalm where God has promised to be good and to protect the Messiah. Now, is it good that God would command the angels to protect Jesus? Is that a good thing? Yes, it is. Once again, Satan taking something good, parading it before Christ, trying to get Jesus to give his heart over to those things instead of his heavenly Father. And Satan still works the same way. He still works the exact same way today. He wants you and I to take our hearts away from the living God over to his creation. God wants us to exchange his goodness with the goodness of the things that he's made. I, I feel this all the time in campus ministry when I'm at UAB. Is it good that my ministry grows on campus? Yes, it is. I want our our ministry to grow in both uh, breadth and in depth. I want us to reach more and more people on campus. It would be glorious to me if we could do that. Those are all good things. But what happens when I give my heart to that instead of the living God? I become bitter and cynical And I stop loving my students, and all I care about is having a bigger and a bigger ministry. Or think about um, marriage for a minute. Is it good that your spouse loves you and respects you? Yes, it is. What happens when all you care about is whether or not your spouse loves and respects you? You live in fear that they don't love you. You're paranoid that they don't respect you. Your skin becomes paper thin, and every little thing is, 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 is a threat to whether or not they love and respect you. And Satan worked that way with Jesus. He works the same way with us. He wants us to make something else besides God my bread. He wants us to, to doubt God's goodness so that we test him. That's what Satan did to Jesus when he... Um, told Jesus, look, just jump off. The angels will protect you. He's testing God. To test God means to to make unreasonable demands on who God is. To test God means to say, God, you've promised to be good to me in your time and in your way. Not good enough. You've got to be good to me on my time and in my way. That's what it looks like to test God. And Jesus longs for us to see this. He wants us to see how the enemy works and to see that he really was tempted by all these things. Was it hard for Jesus to resist the temptations of Satan? Or was it easy? Did he just do it in an instant? He just kind of laughed it all off. Well, you see it in how Jesus responds to the temptations. When Satan comes to him and tempts him, Jesus might have said, well, you know, look, I don't know if you heard, I'm the son of God, and uh, this whole tempting thing, God doesn't do that, so this is not going to work for me. There's no indication that these temptations and fighting them was easy at all. He has to quote scripture and remind himself of what is true. Because Jesus is fully human, he has a human soul and a human body, 
And he longs for the same things that all humans long for. And he was, he, he was actually tempted. And he did this to reveal to us, firstly, what is Satan like? What does he want us to do? And uh, I'll, I'll just say one last thing about this before I move on to the next point. Um, this gives us great solidarity. You know, who, who is your real enemy? If, if you're a single person, your real enemy is not singleness. Or if you're married... Uh, your enemy, your real enemy is never your spouse. Or it's, if, if you have children, your real enemy is never your kids or your parents. It's the evil one uh, Jesus wants us to see. And what, one of my favorite movies growing up was, uh, not Raiders of the Lost Ark, the third one, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And there's this scene in that movie where Harrison Ford fighting the Nazi on the tank you know, close-up pictures of them battling it on this tank. And finally, the camera zooms way out. And you see that the tank and Harrison Ford and the Nazi, they're about to go over a cliff. And at that point, Harrison Ford realizes that his enemy's not really the Nazi. It's the cliff that the whole tank and everything is about to go over. And especially if I can wade into the dangerous area of politics right now, like if you're a conservative... Politically, so glad you're here. Satan would love for you to think that the, the, the real enemy of Alabama is the deep state or uh, you know, the, the progressive agenda. Satan would love for you to, to really believe that that's the enemy of Birmingham. He would love that. Jesus longs for you to see that it is the evil one. That is our enemy. And if, if you're progressive here this morning, politically, I'm so glad that you're here. What Satan would love for you to believe is that it's the conservatives that's the real enemy. The, 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 the thing that's keeping Alabama from really flourishing and our country from flourishing, it must be the conservatives. That's what Satan is dying for you to believe. And what Jesus wants to reveal is that it is the evil one. And because as long as the enemy is something earthly, like a human being or human institution, well, that's doable. We can take that on. But only Jesus can fight this enemy. Only he can do it. Um, so that's the second thing I want you to see is that Jesus defeats our enemy. He's the one that can defeat him. Um, you see this especially in the amount of time that Jesus is in the wilderness. How long is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? He's there for 40 days. That's not a coincidence. Who else was in the wilderness for 40 days? It was Israel in the Old Testament being tempted by Satan, tested by God, not tempted by God, but tested by God. Did Israel prove faithful? No, they did not. And now Jesus has come as the greater Israel in order to be completely faithful, to never give in to temptation, and to be the greater Israel so that the gospel can finally go out to the whole world. Part of Jesus' defeat of Satan and the evil one is that now the nations are no longer deceived. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how Jesus has the power to bind uh, the strong man, bind the dragon, in order that he may no longer deceive the nations. That's what Jesus has done as the greater Israel. Or think about this. Who is the first person to have a conversation with the devil? 
Who are the first people to really have to fight Satan? You have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Adam and Eve. Did they succeed? They fought Satan in paradise. And they failed. And now the greater Adam has come, not to fight Satan in in paradise, but to go into the wilderness, to the hardest place to fight him. And now Jesus, the greater Adam, has triumphed over Satan. And he does this three times. He quotes Deuteronomy three different times. He defeats Satan uh, by uh, the word of God. He says, Satan, you shall not live by bread alone. What does that mean? It means that God is my bread. He is the one that I need more than all my felt needs. I need him. Uh, Jesus quotes scripture again. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He's victorious over Satan by reminding himself, my glory, the thing that I glory in the most, is not all the kingdoms of the world, but it's to come and do what my heavenly Father wants me to do. That is my glory. And he he defeats him again by saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. After Satan offers him, look, the angels will protect you if you cast yourself down. Jesus reminds himself of what Scripture says, again from Deuteronomy, as God's people had been in the wilderness for 40 years. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What is Jesus reminding himself of? God, your goodness, in your way, and in your time, it is enough. He's victorious over Satan. Were, were Jesus' temptations real temptations? I've already touched on this, but C.S. Lewis has a great picture about this. C.S. Lewis says, picture a man walking into a strong wind. And he says that that man will lie down after a while because the wind is too strong. And in the same way, you and I, when we walk into temptation, we give up fairly quickly. It's too strong. We don't know what that wind would be like ten minutes later. But Jesus does. He's the one that walked into the wind and never laid down and faced the full force of temptation, not just during these three episodes with Satan, but all 40 days while he was in the desert and all 30 years of his life, he stood in the strong wind of temptation and he never, ever yielded to it. Just to be our example? No. To defeat Satan, to conquer just yesterday, my uh, son played his first soccer game. I told him I was going to talk about this in the sermon. He was excited. My son played his first soccer game, and I was reminded of how awesome team sports is, especially playing soccer, because you get to uh, exult in the triumph of somebody else. And when you're on the soccer team and the forward scores a goal, whoever you are on the team, you get to, to celebrate. Did you score the goal? No, you didn't. Somebody else on your team did. But you celebrate because they did it on your behalf. Same thing if you're a fan while watching sports, right? I wasn't playing soccer, but I loved it when the Cheetahs won. That's the name of our team, the Cheetahs. I loved it when the Cheetahs won. It felt like I won. You get to exult in the victory of somebody else. And when Jesus died on the cross... He destroyed the power of Satan once and for all. It's the cross that Satan doesn't want Jesus to go to. You see in verse 7, it ends 
that, or sorry, not in verse 7, verse 13. The devil ended temptation, every temptation, and it says that Satan departed from Jesus until an opportune time. What was the opportune time? Christ's death on the cross. That's where Satan knew that Jesus would really destroy all of his power. So he was determined to keep Christ from being a servant. He was determined to try and get Christ not to be a suffering servant, a man who would die on the cross. He wanted Jesus to throw away his his humanity and just to be God, to exercise his power. Because on the cross, Christ defeated all the power of Satan. And now we get to enjoy the benefits. We enter into his victory. Jesus was victorious and now we get to celebrate Satan no longer has power over you if you are in Christ. So Jesus, uh, Satan can't possess you. He can't take you over the way, he, the way that he did Judas Iscariot. He can't indwell you in any way because of Jesus' victory. Do we believe in spiritual warfare as Christians? Yes, we do. Who is it that does the decisive fighting in spiritual warfare? Who is it that, uh, that, that decisively memorized all the Bible verses in order to fight against Satan? It is not me, and it is not you. Jesus memorized all the Bible verses, right? He's quoting scripture. Again, he says, it is written. He memorized all the scripture because you couldn't. He fought temptation because we couldn't do it ourselves. And now we get to live in his victory. Jesus reveals our enemy and he defeats our enemy. But finally, he's with us against our enemy. Jesus is with us against our enemy. In 1 John, the writer uh, says that he writes to them because they've already overcome the evil one. In other words, uh, in, in 1 John, the writer says, look, you guys are not struggling to overcome the evil one. It's not your job to uh, defeat the evil one in a decisive way. That's already been done. But, but over and over again in Scripture, we're commanded to fight against the evil one. Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in the Bible, evil is not this generic force out there like in Star Wars where you've got the good and the bad force. That's not the Bible. Evil in the Bible is is personal. That deliver us from evil in the Lord's prayers really deliver us from the evil one, Satan himself. And so even though Jesus has been victorious completely, we are still called to pray, Jesus, would you help me to live in the victory that you have already won for me? You have already bound the strong man Now help me to to live out of the spoils of the house that you've won for me. Um, Over and over again in Scripture, we're called to to put on the armor of God. Why do we have to put on armor as Christians? It's because our king, who's led us in victory, he wants us to follow him in that victory. Remember the story of David and Goliath? And in that story, Goliath is this great uh, enemy of Israel. And he's stronger and bigger, and his weapons are bigger than everybody else's. And no one in Israel has the power to defeat Goliath, except one, David. And on behalf of Israel, David defeats the great enemy. 
And that's usually where the story ends. And that is the good news of the gospel. But what happens next to Israel in that story? What does Israel do? Do they just go celebrate that David has won? Uh, Do they just go home and start planting again now that David has defeated Goliath? No, they don't. What Israel does is they follow their king, they follow David into the Philistine camp and they kill the rest of the Philistines underneath the authority of David. Under the the inspiration of David's victory and and the power of David's victory, Israel goes and follows and, and wipes out the rest of the Philistines. That's exactly what we're called to do as Christians. To follow our king who's promised to be with us as we fight. And um, I, I don't have time to say everything that I wanted to say, but uh, uh, how can you fight against the temptations of Satan? How can we really do battle with him? When Satan comes to you and parades the things that you long for in front of you, when he parades before you uh, the respect that you want and the love that you want, when he parades before you power and pleasure and possessions, how, how do you even fight against that? The world has no idea how to do it. And it's the cross of Christ that tells us, God, when I look at your cross that you died for me, I know that you are the bread that I need. More than anything in this world, you're the bread that I need. Or when you look at the cross of Jesus, it's there that you can be content with the goodness of God. God, you have been so good to me on the cross. I can't demand anything else. I don't need anything else. Jesus, your cross tells me that I need you, and if I have you, I have got everything. When we're in the wilderness, our tendency is to feel that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. Uh, When you're hurting and you're lonely and you're isolated, it can feel like the more separated from God you really are. But God's promise is that he's a sympathetic high priest. He sympathizes with your temptations. What do you do when you have fallen into that sin for the hundredth time? What does Jesus think about that? He is sympathetic. He has been tempted in every single way that we have. And yet he never sinned. Jesus is with you. He's not a physician that stands far away just throwing prescriptions at you. He, he entered into the disease with you. Um, he knows what it's like to be right up against sin, although he never sinned. And he's with you in your fight against sin. So let's not lay down underneath it, but let's fight it. Um, he's promised that even as you, you go into the, the river of temptation, he is going to hold your hand. And your, your head may fall below the waters. It might, for a moment. But he has promised that you will not drown. And he is going to give you stepping stones to make it to the other side of that, to that river. 
And when we get there, when we get to our home, there'll be no more fighting, but there will only be a feast. There'll only feasting there when Jesus comes. In five minutes there in our heavenly home, it will make all the fighting that we did against sin totally worth it. 100% worth it. Five minutes in our heavenly home. Let's pray that that would be more and more real to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do confess that we need you to make our real enemy known to us. We, we fight and, and punch against so much. Uh, we need you to help us to fight and punch against the right things. Uh, we praise you, Jesus, for your victory over Satan. And we pray that you would help us to hang in there and to follow you, uh, our great King, and, and enter into your victory more and more. As we wait for your coming, we pray this in your name. Amen.